morning. You have reached Altered Mobility, and I'm your host, Cheryl Gross-Glazer. Today, we are going to look at funiculars, what they are, how you may have ridden on one without even knowing it, um, and stories of their history. And here at Altered Mobility, we talk about public transportation, the ways we get around, and what surrounds us in the public sphere. But we t- before we talk about funiculars, let's go first to our snapshot in equity. And I'll be taking a sip of my nice morning coffee. Mm. Okay. So first of all, since the dawn of time, practically, it seems that we have had some kind of enslavement going on, and certainly in recorded history, uh, many instances But the seeds, if you will, of the Atlantic slave trade go back to just a few decades after the Black Plague crosses across Europe and wipes out a third of the population and many, many workers, and uh, the wages for workers rise, and um, they become more demanding. So in 1380, we have... um, uh, slaves starting to come into Europe from the Middle East and Africa. There was a prohibition on having Christians used as slaves, so uh, people had to be uh, obtained, if you will, kidnapped uh, from much further afield. In 1444, or as early as 1444, because we don't know exactly, the Portuguese uh, brought of the first large cargo of slaves from West Africa to Europe, thus planting those seeds that, yes, slavery is here, and this is a way we can get uh, workers. Um, in the late 1400s, early 1500s, there were slaves brought, again by Portugal, into Spain, and by 1526, uh, Spanish explorers were starting to bring African slaves to settlements in what would become the U.S., and with slaves came the first slave revolt as well. By 1550, so again, this is well before Jamestown, well before Plymouth Rock, uh, slaves were depicted in European art as kind of conspicuous consumption. Look, we have a slave, so this is a a symbol of the fact that we have a lot of money. And now to funiculars. Okay, so what is a funicular? Although they're very fun to ride, the word has nothing to do with the word fun in English, which has a completely different derivation. According to Merriam-Webster's dictionary, it is a cable railway ascending a mountain, especially one in which an ascending car counterbalances a descending car. And that's the definition Willie will use today. Um, The Oxford English Dictionary gives a very broad definition in terms of of or relating to a rope or cable or operated by means of a rope or cable and then specifically a funicular railway, which they then define similarly to Merriam-Webster's. The French uh, early on called their funicular, what we would call our funiculars, funiculaires. Um, So probably the English word uh, might might derived from that. Um, And it was first used, the word funicular was first used in English in 1664. But there are some other 
um, meanings of the word. Um, some older, some newer than the one relating to uh, funicular railways. Some of these are rarely in use or not at all or in specialized use, such as in medicine, botany, and zoology. And some of these definitions concern things such as tubes of mercury, umbilical cords, that's a pretty obvious one, uh, female reproductive organs of plants, and the spinal cord. There's even something known as a funicular polygon, which also has to do with a rope or cord acted on by forces at a number of points. And I will say, I did not sit there for an hour to absorb the exact meaning of what this funicular polygon is. But if you Google it, I am sure you will find uh, plenty there. A nice description, not a definition, but a real description uh, of a funicular that gives you a taste of what they are in terms of the variety and histories from uh, the Tree Hugger website. It's a sustainability website from a blog post in 2018. A pair of wheeled passenger carriages, sometimes a tiny wooden box, sometimes a more spacious tram, sit on rails built on a slope, be it the face of a mountain or a short urban hill. Connected by a cable that moves through a pulley, the two cars counterbalance each other as one ascends the hill and the other descends it. An electric motor, once coal-powered steam engines and before that humans and animals, provide the winching action. Just think of the funicular as a hybrid of a trolley and an elevator, and you're somewhat close. Which is really true. (laughs) And uh, we will have a little bit more of this kind of uh, uh, intersection with the elevator um, as we go along. Um, the definition is kind of important because there are things that are called elevators, which uh, you'll mostly see in California, sometimes in real estate ads to go up to expensive houses that sit on steep hillsides. So you'll basically they're used to park your car and then you go up the elevator. Um, uh, but they are in pairs of, of these cars or carriages that counterbalance each other. Um, so another example of this kind of uh, confusion that there is sometimes or mixing up of terms is the so-called funicular at Montmartre uh, in Paris. And I probably did not pronounce that correctly. I took Spanish in high school. Uh, it's actually a pair of inclined elevators and not a funicular which with the counterbalancing. But the name funicular at that location dates back to an earlier conveyance that was at that was there that was actually a funicular. The other way around, there's some conveyances that are um, called elevators, but they're actually Funiculars. For example, in Dubuque, Iowa, there's the 4th Street Elevator, which is actually a funicular, but its predecessor was an elevator. And then we're going to get into that one later on because it has a very interesting history. How do they work? I'm going to tell you as a non-science person, non-physics person, I don't really have much of an idea, but on the Internet you can find out a lot of information. And how stuff works, they have a very nice um, explanation. And this will be probably my longest quote, I'm sure, my longest quote of the day. Uh, A funicular uses the technology of an elevator, which is a cable pulling a car up, 
and the technology of a railroad, which is a car somehow on a track, devised in the 15th century as a way of getting people and things up hillsides. And then they go on to explain why one would use a funicular and not a train. A conventional train could never travel up such a steep incline because the steel train wheels don't have enough traction against steel rails. Trains that do climb mountains go up tracks that spiral around the mountain or go through many switchbacks. And then uh, this entry explains the type of tires and wheels that could be used and why they don't work for trains. Um, And, you know, then getting back to the funicular, they explain, and I quote, the funicular conquers the problems in a very elegant way. First, the car is pulled up the mountain by a cable, which means that traction is no longer an issue. The wheels just guide the car up the mountain. They don't provide any of the pulling power. But the true genius of the funicular is that it uses two cars at the same time, one on each side of the top pulley. So at any one time, one car is balancing the weight of the other. The descending car's weight helps pull the ascending car up the mountain, and the ascending train or car's weight keeps the speed of the descending train from going out of control. There's still a motor powering the pulley, but it only has to provide enough force to overcome the difference in weight between the two cars and to overcome friction in the system. So if you have two passengers on one car and three or eight on another, you need some energy to uh, balance that difference and then, of course, the friction. And now we are going to leave science and all the stuff I don't understand and therefore have to quote from others. Nice coffee blend this morning from Zeke's. They are not paying me to say this, but I love them. Uh, in D.C. and Baltimore, I have my red-white um, blend with some Guatemala beans. Love that. Anyway, so the first known funicular is still in operation. It's perhaps perhaps the actual oldest funicular. We don't even know the exact date. It dates back to either like 1495 or perhaps 1505 um, in Salzburg, Austria, and there's a debate about whether it was actually a funicular because there was no evidence at the time um, of a counterweight or a second carriage. Uh, Well into the modern age of steam power, electric coal, combustion engines, etc., this funicular was operated until 1910 by human or animal power. Um, And then, uh, according to a back post from Funimag, which is a funicular, or maybe was a funicular um, blog, uh, hasn't been kept up too much lately. Uh, The funicular goes from this garden in a convent called Nonberg up to the center of this fortress, And it goes through five successive great walls. And you can really go down a a rabbit hole because uh, there are description of these walls and gates through which the funicular goes. They were designed in kind of a multi-layered way uh, so that they wouldn't become the weak points through which the fortress could be um, invaded.
Uh, each okay, so each opening in the wall is closed by this big wooden door. And Michael Azima, the Funimag author, wrote that even today there's no road suitable for motor vehicles, and that explains why this uh, funicular called the Rysug is still in use. Um, it was used not to carry passengers, but to haul wooden stones for the fortress's extension and um, other work going on there. Um, and, and I think we have to acknowledge the low literacy rate at the time in Europe because this has a lot to do with what we know and the dates about which we know about it and all that we don't know. Okay, another sip. Um, so there were no patent records. Um, I guess the workers weren't keeping records. So whoever created this funicular, we have no idea. Or whoever planned it, we have no idea. On the other hand, what we do have is evidence that... Um, comes because there's a certain amount of wealth here, and so it's more likely that somebody associated with wealth is going to be able to have this kind of infrastructure in place and to be able to write about it. But whether there were several funiculars in the area or just every once in a while a funicular, we don't, we don't really know. The document that, rem that mentions this first funicular was written in 1515 by one Matthaus Cardinal Lang, who would later become the Archbishop of Salzburg. And I searched and searched. I could not find um, what type of document this actually was, but just that um, the Cardinal wrote a descri description of the Reisug, the funicular railway at Hohosa... Wait, I have to pronounce this again. Hohen Salzburg Castle in Austria. And the line originally used wooden rails and a hemp haulage rope um, operated by human or animal power through a tread wheel. And this fortress, which you can see pictures of today because it still exists, was built or completed in 1077 by a previous archbishop. It is quite the impressive um, building. Uh, it sits atop of the mountain. It's huge. It's one of the largest medieval castles in Europe, and its walls have never been breached, even during the Second World War. Um, and given the position of the Catholic Church and the concentration of literacy among church officials, it's not too surprising that the first reference to a funicular in Europe is to one that... Um, a church official is associated with. The archbishop, however, despite uh, living at this uh, location, was not a popular figure, and only 10 years later, in 1525, during the Reformation, insurgents attacked his residence at the castle. But given the position of the fortress and the fact that he had soldiers from an imperial league of basically a bunch of local principalities fought off the attackers and he lived to become a cardinal uh, 10 years later in 1535. That first known funicular was originally and continues to be used to this day for freight but not for passengers although there is a funicular at the castle that was built in 1892 to bring tourists up to the castle to visit the archbishop's uh, former residents. And it's worth a Google search or jumping to a link in our show notes for a peek at the, at the fortress and um, 
the area. It's an intimidating fortress, and one can understand how with the, the kind of military technology in medieval times, it would have been um, quite the, have the intimidation factor to prevent any kind of attack. The fortress currently houses a few museums, and one can see the furnishings from the archbishop's time. In fact, the interior dates back to one of his predecessors. All these rooms have remained unchanged since about 1501 or 1502, so not something you really see in the U.S., And then we don't hear anything about funiculars, and I say almost because there's one notable exception that I'm going to go into in a moment. But except for, for one, uh, one exception, we don't hear really anything for about uh, 300 years. But about 100 years later, we do hear something, and it's in a location where um, it makes sense. So in the UK, not too far from Birmingham, there's a uh, market town, or what was called a market town, um, Brosley, um, in Shropshire. And again, don't know if I'm pronouncing those correctly. And we have a reference to a railway that is a funicular. Uh, the reference is from 1605, but it seems like the funicular predates the reference. Um, and first, a little bit about Brosley and why it's a town where one might think this... Um, kind of infrastructure might be invented, and I say invented because it's probably not that they saw that first reference to a funicular um, from Austria. So in 1600, the town of Brosley had only about 27 houses, and it was part of this royal forest. It was an area known for mining and for stone, and there's evidence of uh, wooden wagon ways that existed there in 1605, um, giving Brosley a serious claim to being one of the oldest railways in Britain. It was known for as a center for iron making, pottery and clay, and the earliest recorded pipe maker was working there in 1590. So you can see where this kind of um, industry manufacturing might make it uh, a place where innovation might happen. Um, there's also information about a riot in the early... Um, 1600s because the farmers and the shepherds clashed, clashed with these new industrial workers that uh, the local moguls were building homes to attract and these homes were built on what these uh, previous uh, residents of the area were considered common land. The 1605 funicular reference um, is considered to be the first railway as opposed to a wagonway, and wagonways in some shape or form date back to ancient times. This railway was, funicular railway, was used for transporting coal from the mines of one James Clifford down to the Severn River. Coal was then placed on these barges for transportation to uh, river towns, and the date given for the funicular is circa 1600, but we don't know. We only know that it probably preceded a wagonway that was built in 1604. I'm not going to go into the inclined railways of the 18th and 19th centuries that were used at canals um, and powered by water turbines, which, by the way, a few funiculars are powered by even to this day. Um, those uh, inclined railways um, were used before railroads overtook canals, you know, to do so much freight transportation. Um, they were not 
funiculars. They were not counterbalanced. Um, but perhaps what they did, and they were used in the U.S., um, in other places, is that they keep in mind this idea of an inclined railway and um, using rope sort of in the minds of, of future engineers. Funiculars began their ascent, as it were, pun intended, to popularity um, when we see the first in 1862 in Lyon, France, where the first of five funicular public transportation lines were built, of which two still exist, but not that initial one. Um, so now we see them being used not just to haul stuff, but to haul uh, people, as public transportation is becoming a thing. Remember, in 1866, the London Underground uh, opens. Next up was was Buddha, uh, Buddha of Buddha and Pest, uh, with a funicular that's still in operation and with fabulous views of the Danube River and the city of Pest. It was built in 1870 by one, and I'm definitely going to butcher this name, Odon Shed. Szczeny, uh, who was a son of a count, and he funded this pretty funicular to go up this 164-foot elevation to a castle and take people up there. And then after that, we see funiculars uh, popping up in Europe and England and the United States. One of the first funiculars in op operating since 1875 and still operating is in Istanbul, Turkey, and the funicular there was built underground and is therefore not only an early funicular, but also is the second oldest subway in the world after the London subway. Uh, staying for in Europe for a moment and going slightly off topic, the most famous and perhaps the only funicular song, certainly one to come into the public sphere, was inspired by the funicular at Mount Vesuvius, which operated from 1880 until 1944, excuse me, when the volcano erupted. And you can hear many, many versions of this funiculi funicula song on YouTube. I'm putting a couple of clips in the show notes, one from a performance done not too long ago at uh, one of the main Vienna train stations. And it's uh, these people just looks like if they just start spontaneously singing and they're each supposed to represent the ki a kind of person you would see in a train station either working there or traveling through there and it's it's really lovely um, going across the pond to the United States, the oldest funicular in the US is still in operation the Mongolela Incline in Pittsburgh dates back to 1870, and like many inclines, not uh, funiculars, I'm sorry, not all, there is no operator or any employee on the actual um, car that you go into. Um, the employees in is is somewhere else operating, but they're not, you know, unlike a bus driver who's in the conveyance with you, this feels more like either a subway or a driverless vehicle in that that operator is not on it with you. Um, 
And as was originally the case, this incline is still used by residents of the neighborhood that looks down on downtown Pittsburgh and is a tourist attraction. And this was for, you know, real, real workers. Um, the incline, this incline was listed in the U.S. National Register of Historic Places in 1977, and it was recently refurbished, according to its website. Pittsburgh also has a second funicular about one mile away. It's called the Duquesne Incline, and it opened to the public on May 20th, 1877. Uh, it was rescued and restored by a group of local residents in 1963. And according to its website, it uses the original elegant wooden cable cars. The Duquesne, uh, Duquesne, I'm sorry, Duquesne Incline's upper station houses a museum of Pittsburgh history, including photos and a storehouse of information on inclines from around the world. And I'm going to read you a little bit from the information um, at the, at the Duquesne Incline. At the time of its public opening, it was one of four inclined planes, or funiculars, serving the summit of Coal Hill, which later came to be known as Mount Washington. The Duquesne Incline was operated from 1877 until 1962 by the Duquesne Inclined Plane Company. From 1964 until the present, the incline has been operated by the Society for the preservation of the Duquesne Heights incline, and it's owned by the Port Authority of Allegheny County, which uh, is the transit system uh, in Pittsburgh. Uh, going back to the quote, the Society for the Preservation of the Duquesne Heights Incline was formed in 1964 by the Duquesne Heights Mount Washington Neighborhood Group that had rescued, repaired, and reopened the incline in 1963. Its purpose was to continue to restore and rehabilitate the car's equipment and both stations and to establish the entire operation as a reliable commuter facility and a popular visitor attraction. Memberships in the society are available, so you can go look that up. Um, Pittsburgh has beautiful views, by the way, with lots of uh, vantage points to look out on its, its rivers and its yellow bridges. It's very walkable. It has wonderful old buildings downtown. And I would not miss riding up on the funiculars or walking along Grandview Avenue at the top. Um, other American funiculars, which were built for, you know, basically industrial workers uh, to commute, existed in quite a few cities, such as Providence, Rhode Island, Kansas City, San Francisco, Hoboken, New Jersey, and then, of course, there were more in Pittsburgh. Um, and in the show notes, there's a database uh, of funiculars that I linked to, and that has dates of when these were all around the world, built and, and closed. Uh, and another sip of coffee here. Okay. Makes, it makes it nice and warm to sit here and do the podcast while I sip my coffee. Uh, and before we go to the funiculars of California, we're going to take um, a bit of a detour here to the Midwest, where one funicular was built by and for a single commuter who had a short but difficult trip to work. So kind of like those elevator folks, um, you have someone with a lot of money and an issue, a problem to be solved, except he didn't buy his house with the funicular already built or built on his own land. 
Um, so in Dubuque, Iowa, in the late 80s, 1800s, the city, um, like many U.S. cities around the world, had a short kind of, it didn't call it that, but like a siesta period. People would go home, have about an hour and a half. They'd have what they called dinner, what we would call lunch in the middle of the day, enough time for a nap. And, um, and this person had uh, too long of a carriage ride because he has to somehow go along where the carriage can go um, because there's this big hill. So this gentleman was uh, Julius K. Graves. He was a banker, and he was quite the prominent citizen. He was the former mayor of Dubuque, also a former state senator, a promoter of mines, and um, he was not going to accept this long carriage ride and having to give up his nap, and he certainly wasn't walking up this steep hill. So what is a person with lots of money to do? Uh, Mr. Graves... um, had been a traveler and he had seen inclined railways in Europe and he decided that a cable car would solve his problem. So he petitions the city for the right to build um, and the franchise was granted on June 5th, 1882. And he had an elevator, not a funicular built, um, which was 296 feet long and rose uh, 286 feet. Now, he had it built. He paid for it. He didn't build this by himself. He hired an engineer, a Mr. John Belt, who built it, and he studied Swiss-style wooden funiculars, nothing as big as what was already operating in Pittsburgh, um, and which were mass transit compared with what what Mr. Graves wanted, which was just a personalized uh, trip. Um this cable car, this original cable car that he built, had uh, also built a little plain wood building. It used a coal-fired steam engine boiler and a winch, and it was hauled up and down by hemp rope. And the best part um, uh, is coming up. <laughs> Always makes me laugh. So it's operated for the first time on July 25th, 1884. And after that, he had his gardener let him down in the morning and bring him up at noon, down after dinner and nap, and again, up again the hill at the end of the workday. And before long, neighbors began meeting him at the elevator, asking for rides. And I, I do show all the sources in my, in my show notes, and I really went down a rabbit hole on, uh, on this one. Um, just about two years later, in July of 1886, this elevator burns down. Mr. Graves rebuilds it, and at this point, he opens it up uh, to the public, and he begins charging five cents a ride. Now, remember, this is 1886. This is mm, about 18 years before the New York City subway opens, and the fare is the same as that original subway fare. So he's charging a decent amount. Um Unfortunately, uh, not too many years go by, and in 1893, um, the the elevator, excuse me, burns down again, but there's a recession going on, and Mr. Graves could not afford to rebuild, but by this time, his neighbors are accustomed to riding this elevator to work, to church, to school, to shopping, and they don't want to give it up. So 10 neighbors uh, get together, they each invest $250, and they create the Fenelon Place elevator company. Um, 
The unofficial name is the Fourth Street Elevator, but the official name and the name of the company is the Fenelon Place Elevator Company. Um, Mr. Graves uh, sold them the or gave them the franchise for the right of way for the track. And um, so we're, we're talking about 1893, and what do these neighbors then do? They um, go to this place that every other person of note in the U.S. went to at the time, uh, the 1893 Columbia Exposition in Chicago, to explore solutions. They want the latest technology uh, for whatever conveyance they, they build when they rebuild over there. And they decide on a steel cable to replace the hemp rope because fire, the fires, the previous fires, had burned through and spread via the rope. And in our all roads lead to Brooklyn moment, the company that they bought the steel rope from was the Roebling Company, owned by the family that designed and built the Brooklyn Bridge. And in fact, those steel, same kind of steel cables were used in the Brooklyn Bridge. Um, or maybe not the exact same kind, but same kind of uh, technology. Anyway, the uh, Fenelon Place elevator installed three rails and a bypass instead of two separate two-rail tracks uh, so that they could have um, two-way service, and this would better serve the public. And now we have, instead of an elevator, a funicular, but the original name of elevator stuck, and so that's uh, that was kept. Of the original 10 stockholders in the elevator company, one gradually bought out the others as they left the neighborhood or they passed away, and he became the sole owner in 1912. This gentleman, Clifton Truen, added an apartment besides the operator's apartment and garages. And the second apartment was used for men's cards games to avoid their wives. There was also a lover's lane adjacent to the to the ele- elevator. I'm calling it the elevator because they call it that, but the funicular. Uh, it was rem- rem- removed and fenced off. And I found a 2005 uh, report that has a sweet quote from a, a Herald newspaper article that appeared on September 10th, 1895. Lover's Lane between 4th and 5th Streets is no more Lover's Lane. It is about as loveless a place as one could find now. The 4th Street Elevator Company, a base, heartless corporation, with soul attuned only to the jingle of the almighty dollar, has begun the dastardly work of putting up a hogtight fence at each end. Great. Um, the link to that report is in the episode notes. And it, that, that report also has really wonderful images dating back to the 1880s and teens of the elevator and then the funicular and also um, houses in the neighborhood. And the report also talks about life there and Mr. Graves and his family as the preeminent residents and the center of the aristocratic social life of what was then the upper crust of Dubuque. Um, another fire d- came, this time an electrical fire at the operator's room and the apartment broke out in 1962. And then the fare was doubled to $0.10. Cents. It's currently $4 for a two-way trip, um, three, an extra $3 to bring a bike on board, half price for children, and you can see downtown Dubuque and the Mississippi River uh, during a ride. Um, 
The Fenelon Place, or more commonly known 4th Street Elevator, was last upgraded in 2015, and it was in service year-round until 1977. It now only operates between April and November, and there's a special run for Mr. and Mrs. Santa Claus when they uh, launch their business season every year. This funicular was listed on the National Register of Historic Places in 1978, and amazingly, the the Elevator Company is still owned by a descendant of that original shareholder who bought out the others. Um, And the family member who owns it now, her grandchildren have already begun training to carry on the family's funicular legacy. And one thing to note is that the website proclaims that this Iowa funicular is the shortest and steepest railroad, and it is neither the shortest nor the steepest. But it's certainly not the only funicular uh, website that has, you know, those kind of claims. Going now to California, after I take another sip of this wonderful coffee. Um... In Los Angeles, uh, we have funiculars going back a ways that have long been a mini-mode, I'll call them, of public transportation and affordable. Uh, Angel's Flight funicular is still only 50 cents a ride one way. I think it was a quarter for some reason when I went there. Um, But anyway, they were mostly built around the turn of the century and early on in the 20th century. Um, There were few in downtown Los Angeles as transportation up and down some of those steep hills, as well some were built as a spur for tourism and real estate development in then sparsely inhabited hills. Angel's Flight itself was built in 1901 by a former railroad man and a person who had been a friend of Abraham Lincoln's to reach what was then a fancy neighborhood at the top. In, a, in later decades, the neighborhood really became much, much poorer. Um, but it was built uh, sort of like the Dubuque one when, when there were fancy people living at the top. Um, the funiculars also enabled people to see you know, what would be available to them, the beautiful views and these less busy places to live. So they were kind of a real estate attraction, if you will. Um, And some of them didn't end up operating uh, for very long. In fact, one L.A. funicular only operated for nine years. The Los Angeles and Mount Washington Incline Railway was built to attract people to hotels, to come up and have cocktails, or to, you know, live up on this mount. Um, And it was also built to attract more real estate development and building of amusements. Um, but the funicular didn't support itself. Um, and as played out in many places from upstate New York's uh, Lake George area to California, um, then it's not kept up. So uh, back to California, we have uh, Nathan Masters wrote in 2011 about the Mount Washington funicular. The railway was the brainchild of developer Robert Marsh, who thought a funicular could transform the inaccessible land into valuable real estate by connecting the hilltop uh, with the Los Angeles Consolidated Electric Railway streetcars, the yellow cars, running on Marmion Way below. 
The railway, which opened to the public on May 24, 1909, scaled the western slope of Mount Washington for nickel. So this is 1909, still still a nickel. Uh, Passengers could disembark from a yellow car at the intersection of Marmion and Avenue 43, ride the funicular to the top of Mount Washington. There they could stay in a grand hotel or explore the vacant housing lots awaiting. Uh, Master said that the funicular transformed this area up on Mount Washington, but due to safety problems and money, in, um, it was closed in 1918 and never reopened. By then, the Mount Washington Hotel was attracting early Hollywood stars. It was very successful. The residents who were already living there complained. They wanted the funicular, but no one was uh, quite so committed as those Dubuque citizens to reopening it, so it, it didn't. The hotel building still exists. Um, it's not a hotel anymore. It's now the international headquarters for what I am not going to pronounce correctly, but I'll try, for the Paramhansa Yogananda's Self-Realization Fellowship. An even briefer period of operation was the fate for the Lookout Mountain Funicular Railway in Golden, Colorado. Golden is pretty close to Denver. Uh, from 1912 to 1916, it operated. It closed due to bankruptcy, and this uh, funicular railway could also be reached, excuse me, from trolley uh, by trolley from Denver, and the idea for a funicular dated back to 1890, resurfaced again in 1898, and then in 1804, just kept coming up until finally there was a real estate developer, Rees Vidler, who in 1912 funded it. Um, And according to a quote from the Golden History Museum and park entry about the Lookout Mountain funicular. Uh, It was the first electrically operated funicular railroad built west of the Mississippi River. One car rose while another came down, passing on the two tracks. And they say it took about 20 minutes to get to the top. According to a 1910 article uh, in the Republican Advocate newspaper of May 4th of that year, uh, the trolley from Denver was part of the proposal. It didn't actually exist uh, yet. Um, And also part of the proposal was a hotel and amusements all to lure uh, the people of Denver during the summer months to to go up there. So funiculars, where are they? They are all over the world. You, in fact, may have ridden on one, as did I, without knowing it was a funicular. So they're often referred to as railways or trams or cable cars or elevators without the term funicular being mentioned. Uh, they have been built in France, as I, as I mentioned, uh, Switzerland, the United Kingdom, Portugal, Hong Kong, South Africa, Canada, Israel, Turkey, Norway, Germany, New Zealand, Australia, and Chile, and I am probably leaving out some. Uh, some have been built, uh, a minority of them have been built underground, such as in Israel and Haifa and in Istanbul, Turkey. There are still six funiculars called ascensors and one actual elevator operating in Valparaiso, Chile. But there were once um, about 30 funiculars. Valparaiso was basically built vertically into these mountains. And you can see 
uh, pictures that show lots of stairs and this vertical landscape with beautiful, colorful buildings and tons of public art, even on these um, stairways that go all through the city, as do the funiculars. And the, the funiculars look like those carriages are pretty, pretty old, but also colorful. The steepest funicular, um, uncertain, uncertain. There's two that claim to be, and I'll, I'll, I'll talk about that right now. In Switzerland, at the Alpine Resort of Stews, the gradient of the funicular is at some points as steep as 110%. This funicular was built in 2017, and it travels about two-thirds of a mile up to a car-free area. Um, they say the previous record holder for funicular steepness was also in Switzerland. Um, but this isn't as steep as the gradient um, at a railway, a funicular in Australia, the Katoomba Scenic Railway in the Blue Mountains, just a couple of hours from Sydney, where the gradient is said to be 122%. The original funicular there was used to transport coal, and then this was redone as a tourist attraction in 1944. It's also possible for something to still be a funicular and to be suspended. So instead of the rails being on the bottom of the carriage, they are at the top. And this is the case uh, in Dresden for the Dresdner Schwebebahn uh, funicular. Probably didn't pronounce that correctly either. Um, and according to information about it, instead of riding on the tracks, the counterbalanced cars are suspended by overhead girders or guide rails. It opened in 1901, and it's still carrying passengers, although it was uh, closed for about eight years in the um, 1980s and 90s. And I'll say that going down the rabbit hole of exploring funiculars, there are some interesting people. One is a gentleman from New York, a Joseph Brennan, who wrote um, about his journeys um, to all of the non-working, and as he found some non-working funiculars in England. Um, and here's a quote from his trip to Hastings, where he writes, The sign at the station for the village of of the battle reads, a light here for 1066 Battle of Hastings. And some say that it was a Saxon sign of this nature that led William of Normandy and Harold Godwinson to choose the site for the all-day event that changed the course of English history. Ah. <laughs> uh, quite a few funiculars are tourist attractions and don't serve a transportation service um, purpose, really. You're not taking the funicular, you know, in order to really go someplace. You're just maybe going to the top and looking, you know, at the view and then coming down. And that's their primary purpose. Some, such as the Peak Tram in Hong Kong, uh, which I rode on not knowing it was a funicular, were originally built for commuters and... In the case of Hong Kong, these wealthy commuters who lived in the affluent neighborhoods and cooler climate of Victoria Peak. But the tram is now for tourists, or, or will be again when it reopens. It's currently closed for six months for an upgrade for longer and wider cars that will carry almost double the number of passengers. It will reopen. It should reopen in early 2022. And... I'll just say this, the travel restrictions for COVID in Hong Kong are daunting. They've effectively shut down tourism. Um, you ha if you are traveling directly to Hong Kong from most 
countries. You'd have to stay in in like this a COVID hotel room for about three weeks. Um, it's really really strict. Anyway, uh, I won't I won't go into that, but. Um, I guess they're planning that at some point tourism will will reopen. Um, there is a funicular in Norway and one in Tennessee that were specifically built for tourists to take in beautiful mountain views, and I'm sure there's other ones. Um, many funiculars can be found at ski resorts because they're stable, even with wind and other uh weather conditions and just like tea bars or gondolas there's they're used to bring skiers up a mountain um these are used mainly in europe i did see mention of one in new zealand at broken river and in scotland there's a ski area funicular that's being renovated and should reopen uh in 2022 there's a funicular that goes to private residences at a ski resort in telluride colorado which is currently out of service and it didn't give a date for when it's reopening a park city utah funicular was built in uh 2009 and it takes people up to up to a luxury hotel at the St. Regis Deer Valley Resort. And you can sit on leather built-in sofa during your 90-second ride, not to mention the beautiful um, atmosphere in the fancy rustic waiting area. Uh, The reviewer who wrote about that gave this funicular a glowing review uh, and the resort a glowing review. Apparently you can use your Marriott points for your stay and the reviewer uh, took a lot of photographs of the hotel including the kitchen in their suite and the balcony. I do have to warn you though that even though this is a very fancy funicular um, and it does have beautiful views of the mountains and snow in winter um Uh, Many of those views are of the hotel parking lot and another hotel, so it's kind of like, yeah, there's the mountains, but it's not the best views of a mountain funicular, I have to say. Just, uh... Um, Still, others are used for commuting or traveling around in their own cities. Pittsburgh, prime example. Um... Uh, and similarly in Valparaiso, Chile, the funiculars uh, reach the neighborhoods at the top with these spectacular uh, views. Um, and and funiculars in cities are not just surviving charming relics. They do continue to be built. It's not only the old ones that are continuing to be used. In 2001, in Neuchâtel, Switzerland, a funicular was built which operates underground in a tunnel, and it links the lower part of the town near the university to the railway station in the upper part of the city. And there's an even newer funicular, after I get my sip of coffee here. Uh, It was built in 2014 in La Paz, Bolivia. They added a second funicular line connecting the cities of La Paz and El Alto, and these are the world's highest urban funiculars. Talking a little bit about crashes, um, I won't say they're they're completely rare. They do happen, but um, there are protocols for maintenance and inspections. And because the funicular is a is a somewhat simpler technology, they are easy to keep in very good working order. Uh, there was a 
crash of the L.A. Angels flight funicular uh, just after noon on February the 1st, 2001. That was its first crash in 87 years. And Funimag looked into the cause. It wasn't a broken cable, and there was no emergency brake that was uh, kind of... Uh, not following the protocols, number one. Um, what happened was the cable loosened suddenly out of the groove, and so there was like um, extra space on the rope, and then, you know, the, the, the car suddenly goes down without warning, and the other car, uh, that, that counterbalanced car, was close enough by that um, it crashed uh, below. Um, one one person was killed on that. There is an emergency, by, by the way, now on the Angels Flight funicular. Um, this year, we've probably had one of the worst, perhaps the worst, uh, funicular crash. In May of this year, um, 14 people were killed in a funicular crash in Italy that was attributed to the intentionally intentional dismantling of the emergency brake by a technician. It kept it kept locking on its own, and I guess it was a pain in the butt, and this person dismantled it. This happened on the first weekend after the funicular was reopened um, after COVID lockdowns. Um, and only one person out of the 15 on board survived. I have not seen any reports of crashes in France, Switzerland, Germany, or Asia. It's been over 30 years since an accident um, of any kind in New Zealand. And I, I had to tell you, I don't know, although there are standard protocols that can be followed, what the regulations are in um among the countries and whether the protocols are kind of religiously followed, if you will, better in, in some places than others. In the U.S., funicular regulation is state by state, um, so it's possible that regulation and actual safety practices vary somewhat. And I will tell you, there are many, many websites devoted to uh, the different funiculars and what goes on with them. People write about them, tweet about them. There's lots of resources um, with this episode in the notes, if you want to go down a rabbit hole, I would just say that you should tell someone, just like when you take a hike, you tell someone if you're going alone into the mountains somewhere in case you get lost, tell someone. Because you could get lost down those rabbit holes of searching for information about funiculars. Um, it's fascinating, and the further down you go, there's more and more information. So from me to you, I hope you've enjoyed um your morning coffee or maybe going to sleep with us today and um, stay well, stay healthy and have a fabulous day or evening. Bye-bye.
Oh! <laughs>